welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! You, to Timothy, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would um, open this word to our hearts and open our, our hearts, our hard, brittle, perhaps bitter hearts uh, to this word. It's this, what Paul writes here is that, this, that scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We cling to that right now and we pray that these things would happen for us this morning. Uh, that, it, that we would be taught, reproved, corrected, trained in righteousness as each of us need in our callings this morning. I pray that um, any words that I have today that are not of you, they'd be thrown aside for, for, and forgotten, and that your name would be uplifted among us in this time as I preach and through the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so back in the 2016 uh, debates, uh, the presidential debates, I don't really watch the, them very much or enjoy them very much, uh, but there was one question at uh, one debate that really stuck with me. Uh, Anderson Cooper was the, the moderator, and he asked this question to the two candidates. I also don't remember their responses. I think they were probably forgettable. It, his, his, uh, his question was, as you reflect back on your, your career and your accomplishments, what enemies have you made? It's a fantastic question. Uh, and he's, what he's getting at in the question is, oftentimes you can, you can certainly learn a lot about people from who their, their friends are. You can learn perhaps even more about who their enemies are. So, I ask you this morning, the Anderson Cooper question, who are your enemies? This is probably not a question you'd ex- you expected from the pulpit this morning, from a Christian church. As you look back on your life, as you think about what you've God's calling your life to be about, or what you think your life is supposed to be about, who are opponents that you've made along the way? What does that reveal about you? This summer, you guys have been going through a a series uh, quaintly titled Paul Puri, uh, and you guys have been been spending time with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is a man who had lots of enemies. As As you read through his letters, the accounts of his life, 
He, in this, this letter, this, is, this passage that I read this morning is from 2 Timothy. This is Paul's final letter that we have. Uh, presumably it was written uh, not long before he was executed in Rome. He's writing it to a, his, one of his main disciples, men that he's trained to take his place, uh, the, uh, Timothy. And in this letter, Paul names not one, not two, but six different people who are members of the church, uh, who he probably had led to Christ, who had abandoned him or betrayed him, uh, theologically turned against him, returning other people against him. Uh, Paul's someone who, who riled feathers for a lot of people. Uh, Paul, one of Paul's uh, first, one of the Paul's, and one, one way of thinking about this, I have a friend who says this is a pastor's job description. Uh, Paul is a professional people disappointer. Uh, he, there are all kinds of ways that Paul was just not good enough for folks, and they were disappointed in him, and they didn't like him. Uh, the first one, that, perhaps the first one that we have uh, of a way that, that uh, accusations come against Paul is that he was a man pleaser. Uh, so maybe that's not one you've heard about Paul. It's hard, hearing that people thought Paul was a man pleaser, maybe it's surprising to us. You know, we read some of Paul's words, you know, like, uh, some of his teaching about sexual morality or uh, these, these one-liners like wives submit to your husbands and we're like, this guy's not out to please anyone. Um, but his people, some people at his time thought he was a man-pleaser. Going back to like the very beginning of his ministry, so this, this second Timothy's at the end, going back to the beginning of his ministry, his first missionary journey, he traveled around a region called Galatia. The cities are actually named in this passage. Iconium, which is, a, or not Iconium. That was a combination of both of the names. Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, and Lystra. He, a bunch of, he brought a few Jews to, to become members of, of the, the, this growing church. Uh, he also brought some Gentiles. Some Gentiles um, came to Christ through his and Barnabas' ministry. And as they came, he told them, hey, you know, you, you, you don't need to be circumcised. Which, if you're like a, if you know the Old Testament at all, you know the book of Genesis, like, if you're going to be, like, members of the people of Israel, like, men, the men are circumcised. So, Paul, Paul says, you know, that circumcision is, it doesn't count for anything anymore in, in Christ. And he leaves, goes back to Syria. Some other people, uh, some of these are called Judaizers. Some people come through on that same track of his, and they, he, they find these churches and find these Gentiles who haven't been circumcised. And they're like, yep, yeah, this Paul, he was... He was just telling you guys this to make things easy. Like, you don't understand. Like, he's, you know, like, Paul wasn't being biblical enough. Like, this is what it says in the Old Testament to do. He was just trying to make it easy for you. <laughs> Paul's response to that accusation is our letter, what we have in the Bible, the letter um, to the Galatians. Um, and he, he counters it pretty, pretty strongly. He talks about times where he argued with apostles and uh, says that the other people are trying to boast in their flesh. Uh, Paul was a disappointment. What I'm getting out of that is Paul was a disappointment to all kinds of different people. Uh, he, to the Ephesians, he was an economic threat. Uh, some of the, the Pharisees and the Jews thought he was, he, was, he was liberal. He didn't care about the observation of the Torah. He's not biblical enough. Uh, the Athenians, when he went to speak to them in, in Athens, they're like, they just thought he was ignorable and silly for believing in the resurrection. Uh, the Corinthian church thought that he was unimpressive. It's like, yeah, your letters, they're really great, but in person, you're kind of you're lame. You, you know, you're not very impressive. If you, um, and at one point, the Corinthian church, like, they don't want him to come back, even though he planted the church. Like, they don't want him to come back unless he has letters of recommendation, um, 
which imagine if that happened to you. So Paul's someone, I provide this long intro, just to say that when Paul talks about being persecuted and sufferings, he has a really multifaceted, a multidimensional picture from his own life of what persecution and being scorned and being reviled and suffering before others looks like. Which that is, that is what I say to frame this startling verse 12. Look at me with me again at verse 12. Um, Paul, he starts here, he says there are two ways that people can be. He says, indeed, way number one, person number one, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the first way, the first kind of person. Um, and as I like read through this passage, a lot, a lot of people write a lot about, talk a lot about verses 16, verse 16 especially. I really get snagged on verse 12. And, and, and I'll talk about verse 13 here in a minute. How just like bald it is. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Remember what I, Paul's is, persecution was multifaceted for him. It was being a, profession, a professional people disappointer. It was being scorned. It was being treated with hostility. It was being rejected. Um, it's, I, 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 say that just, I think a lot of times when we think of what it means to be persecuted, um, for those of you especially who've been Christians for a long time, we sometimes have this, this image of what being persecuted looks like, which is you go into like a town square, you, you shout a bunch about Jesus, and, and then you're grabbed and you're like thrown somewhere or beaten up or something. Like that's kind of our image of what being persecuted looks like. And uh, that is what happened to Paul in some places. At Lystra, which is named in this passage, that is what happened to him. But it's just, it's just more multidimensional for Paul. And it's more multidimensional for as these words trickle down over the thousands of years to us. It's not necessarily an invitation to seek out persecution photo ops, you know, taking selfies on Instagram, hashtag being persecuted today. It's not, say, he's not saying that. But what he is saying is, and this is the story of Paul, and this is what we're invited into. If you follow Jesus, if you're united with him, then you will suffer. You will be scorned. Um, you will find, you will encounter friction with the ways of the world. Um, and, and, and maybe you're here today and you're like, persecution, man, that's far away. I can't even imagine that. Like what, maybe for, uh, for you who are, who are new, thinking about what Christianity is, here's like my tightest encapsulation of what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus. If you're, in as few of words as I can, is it's unity with Christ. Unity with Christ. Pretty much all of the Christian life is downstream from that. And by the way, that tight phrasing, that's like, that's Pauline, by the way. It's a very Pauline way of thinking about it. Um, in Christ, we, we, we're, we're united with him in his, his record of, of following the law, of, 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 of um, being, of, like, being an heir, to, uh, being a man of righteousness. Like, these things are given to us. Our sins are nailed with him on the cross. We're in him. All the, like the, the worst things, the sins that you've committed, the, the way you're bringing in here, that, that confession time this morning was so powerful. If, you were brought, if things were brought to mind for you um, about things, ways that you're broken, looking at this past week or beyond, in Christ, 
Like, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. Nailed to the cross. Another Pauline expression right there. And now his record is ours. Um, And there's so much else that flows out of this unity with Christ. But if salvation is fundamentally unity with Jesus, should we be surprised that Paul can write a sentence like this? Which is to say, if our life is most fundamentally being like Jesus, being with Jesus, taking on like his benefits and what he's given us in grace, should we not be surprised that also we'll be scorned and rejected as he was? After all, that's how he came to save us, is through a cross, it's through rejection and humiliation. That's the first way. Living a godly life in Christ Jesus, the first way of living that Paul says. And then Paul continues just baldly with the second way, verse 13. So the first, verse 12, first kind of first way, verse 13, the second way. While evil people, on the other hand, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. My, before the pandemic hit, my wife and I uh, went to a live, perform- a live one-man performance of A Christmas Carol. Uh, it was really spectacular. The guy was amazing um, in Center City. And uh, A Christmas Carol, if you don't recognize the name of that, it's uh, Ebenezer, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, a uh, fantastic story. And uh, the story of, of Scrooge is, and you know, it's, it's he is with that, just the name Scrooge, you know what it means. It's, he's, he's an old, cranky man who cares only about accumulating riches, has like alienated his family, doesn't really have any friends. And in A Christmas Carol, what happens is there are these different spirits who come, he comes face to face with these spirits, like, you know, uh, his former uh, partner in business who, who's miserable now in, in the life and is chained to his, literally chained to his riches. Uh, and he encounters the ghost of, of, of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, ghost of Chris, Christmas yet to come. And what's revealed through this whole story and him see, you know, being taken back to the past and seeing Christmases in the, in the present and looking at the future is that Scrooge didn't become Scrooge overnight. Uh, Scrooge, he didn't just make a decision all, all of a sudden one day. He's like, I'm going to be a cranky miser who only cares about money. But it was a, a series of little decisions, little directions, li- changing over the course of his life. It's something that happened every minute of every day instead of something that happened once all of a sudden. Scrooge was a man who went from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, being deceived that riches could protect him, make him happy, be what was right. I don't know about you, but it's like looking at the story of Scrooge. Uh, Paul's saying here is is outside of the intervention of grace, outside of God coming to us in Christ, um, which accompanied with that in Paul's mind is always us striving to be more like Christ. Outside of grace, like as we age, as you age, you will become the worst version of yourself. Um, and, I, and I don't know about you, but that, like, that freaks me out um, and chills me to the bone. I don't know if you know anyone in your life who's maybe someone who's, who's elderly and you like, look at them and the person that they've become and you're like, 20 years ago, this person was just, was different. And it's like, I've, I sense that like, the, 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 the things in this person that 
I hope that were part of him or her that I wished would have gone away, they've just grown. I don't know if you know anyone like that. Maybe that's you. It terrifies me to think that the natural way that Paul says here is, be, is, is going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, it's like vice. The, one way of understanding the way that vice grows is it's like water that goes down a hill. Like the, the way of following Jesus, the way of, like, ways of virtue according to like ancient understandings um, was about like water going uphill. If we just, on our default settings, to use a computer term, on our default settings, we go from bad to worse, deceiving ourselves and allowing ourselves to be deceived by the lies of the world and of Satan. Uh, note also in this second way that Paul includes the category of imposter, which really should, should freak us out because an imposter is someone who can look like everything is fine, but actually on the inside, they're going from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived, but they can maintain the charade of being like the first person mentioned, which should freak us out in church, should it not. So what are we to do? What does Paul recommend to Timothy? What's the way? How do we, how do we choose that first way? How do we grow in that first way, be more like Christ, um, living a godly life while being persecuted? Um, he, Paul offers two prescriptions. Uh, Who's he writing to here, by the way? Timothy, what do we know about Timothy? Timothy was probably a timid, timid man. Uh, a lot of Paul's exhortations to him are to not be ashamed. Um, in another one of his letters, Paul gives him advice about his health, uh, which is to say Timothy could have been kind of like a sickly, sickly man, uh, probably, could have possibly a people pleaser. He was probably really nice. Um, these are the prescriptions that he offers to, to Timothy. First prescription, um, look with me at um, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Um, what I want to draw your attention to with this first prescription is that knowing from whom you learned it in verse 14, that from whom in the original language is in the plural. Um, what Paul is doing here is he's directing Timothy's eyes towards those, his spiritual parents, those who have come before him in the faith, those around him in the faith. Um, the first prescription is to honor the hands that have passed you, Timothy, or us, the scriptures that have passed on the faith to you. Honor your spiritual parents. Um, earlier in First in Timothy, in the first chapter, uh, Paul's like, I remember the faith of, of your mother and your grandmother, and Lois and Eunice. Uh, he he situates Timothy as part of this wider family of people, the biological and also the family of the church. Notice also in verse 10 how Timothy commends, or how Paul commends Timothy for having emulated himself, emulated, emulated Paul. It's, it's just this, this clear point from this book and this passage um, that seeking to live on that first way, if you want to do it, you'll you seek to honor your spiritual parents. Um, Honor what's been given to you. Honor the church. Honor the church. Um, and perhaps that was out of fashion in Paul's time. I think it's probably a little bit more out of fashion in our own time. Um, I would even bet, I don't know how you receive that prescription to honor your spiritual parents uh, or to just honor the church. I, but as I was thinking about it, I would guess some of you may have even, as, and you're thinking about your enemies 
Some of you may have even thought of like your spiritual parents, um, especially those of you who may grew up as part of the church. Something I've noticed at in covenant entrances uh, at our church, and, and uh, I'm sure you guys do similarly here, you share a spiritual snapshot, you know, a little encapsulation of someone's story. Really common thing, and I did this too. I'm, I'm guilty of this so much, it, it's, it's funny. Uh, when we share our spiritual stories, we always tend to want to identify ourselves against the Christians who've come before us. Now, some of that, I think, is, is healthy and natural. We need to, our faith needs to be our own and not our parents. We don't want to leech off of the faith of others. But I think we also, I think there's something that we, in, in our own time where we're naturally inclined towards, towards dishonoring, distancing ourselves from our spiritual parents, from the community of the church. But Paul says, if you want to grow in being like Jesus, being like the first kind of person, you honor the church. And I would invite you to remember that this is coming from a man who in this letter cites, names six people who have abandoned or betrayed him from within that same church. Um, this, this command to honor the church, I know it's a hard command. Um, there, the, at church, we have a greater capacity to hurt one another, do we, don't we? There, some of you in here may have been like really scarred by the church. People in the church have really hurt you. Uh, I, I started a home meeting a couple a few years ago, um, and for the first, our first time meeting together, my icebreaker question was like, hey, what's your church story? You know, we tell each other our faith stories a lot. What's your church story? And a lot of these people have been Christians a long time, and, and I was stunned when like nine out of the 12 people there had some story from their past of they were part of a church split, or the leadership turned against their family, or they were part of the church leadership, and they were undermined by elders. Um, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. And this, this, is a, this is not a hard, easy, natural thing to do, which maybe makes sense then why Paul says anyone who lives, seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, though it's a hard command, it's a good command. Paul, Paul's saying if you want to be more like Jesus, you just can't skip out on the church. Uh, you have to go through the, the ups and downs and hardship of being attached to this family. Um, and as Paul did, as he, which he suffered, he suffered for, and they were his joy, too. So that's the first prescription. The second prescription is to continue in the scriptures, to to devour them. Verse sixteen: All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This this is a classical text on what the Bible is, um, on its authority and its infallibility, its in being inspired, like um, inspiration that, that comes from the, the word for breath. It's God breathed, uh, which there's plenty to be said about. It's efficiency. There's plenty to be said about that. Um, but what I would draw your, your attention to is, is you know, if we're going to go, if we're going to follow Jesus on the way that leads to life, we're going to need something that teaches, reproves, corrects, and trains us in righteousness alongside the church. And it's, these, it's this book. I don't have the Bible in front of me or I would dangle it around. Is the, is the scriptures. And Paul offers that to Timothy to continue devouring it. Um, a, um, a, a man named Carlos, a scholar named Carlos, visited our church uh, last year 
Uh, Carl Ellis is a uh, he was, he's in his 70s now. He's been in, he, was, he spent a number, a number of years as a pastor. Uh, more recently, he's been spending a, a lot of his time as, as really like a, a, a Christian thought leader, particularly in matters of race and reconciliation. Um, incredibly wise man who's led many to Jesus, uh, who I respect a lot. Uh, he came and spent a time with us for one weekend. And I got to have one dinner with him, which is me and a couple of my buddies. And I was like, and I, I, I was like, this is super great. I get to ask this guy for advice. And I, and I asked him, I was like, hey, okay, so you're, you know, after decades of fruitful ministry and after probably seeing a lot of people who've been in ministry and jumped off the path, what, like, what advice would you have for me? Um, being on, I just flipped onto the wrong side of 30. Like what, what advice would you have for me to, like, to not burn out, to not lose my faith, uh, to continue on, on the, the way that leads to life? And uh, he, like, without blinking, uh, Carl Ellis was like, oh, just, just, just immerse yourself in the scriptures. Just devour the scriptures. Just do spade work in the scriptures was a, an expression he used. And um, exactly what Paul was telling Timothy here. And uh, I walked away from that meeting, and I was like, that's it? <laughs> like, that's kind of disappointing advice. Like, weren't you supposed to tell me something more clever than that? Um, <laughs> And, uh, and that's because I had that reaction because I'm, I was, I am, was young, heart of heart, you know, think that, that living, living righteously and following Jesus is more about tricks and cool advice and than about just being plain and faithful and loving the scriptures. And, and this, it, 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 Paul's answer here, Carl Ellis's advice for me, it doesn't, it, it, it could feel for you like it's just not a great answer. Like if, if tw- the 21st century sages were all gathered together, the experts, they're all brought together in one place and they were instructed to write a book about how to live your life, how to be a good person, what would they write? Almost certainly not uh, the book that we consider authoritative, the Bible, the scriptures. Um, but Paul commends it as this is the way towards life. Uh, this is the way uh, to not go from bad to worse this is the way to be reproved, to be redirected back towards, towards Jesus, whose very spirit is communicated. It's, the, he's, it's, he's, it's this word is breathed by God himself for us, for our good. So my final charge to you guys this morning, um, to those of you who are, uh, to those of you who are like, you're like, I don't even know how I got here to church this morning. Like the idea of living a life that could lead to persecution, this idea of being attached to the church, immersing myself in the scriptures, that just sounds so out of reach. Like if you knew what I'd done. (laughs) Um, To you, I would say, you who are humble and contrite of heart and repentant, like you are close to the kingdom of heaven. Um, And I would invite you to be part of the church. Immerse yourselves in the scriptures. Um, to those of you here who hear about these two ways, the way that leads to persecution and reviling and suffering and following Jesus, or the other way, and, or the other way of um, going from bad to worse, and you're like, I'm not in either of those categories. I'm just, you know, cruising along. I'm fine. There's no third category. Um, and I invite you to turn towards Jesus anew as we come towards come towards his table. Jesus, his arms are open. 
He's, he's the humble one. He invites us to himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.